You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. ...before the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Now listen to this. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Many shall see it and trust in the Lord. I want to read one more psalm today, Psalm 71, verse 15. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. Uh, And I want to say today that I want to just testify a little bit. This is the month that, uh, I was about to say 39 years ago, but I'm not quite that old. 29 years ago this month is when the Lord saved my soul. And I want to testify and try to kind of preach my testimony to you a little bit while I tell you a little bit about the story. Now, uh, as I talk about this, where the Lord brought me from, the pit that He dug me out of and the rock on which He placed me, the message He put in my heart, there's some that when you give a message like this or a testimony like this, sometimes people, people think that you may be exalting sin or uh, in being an embarrassment to my family, but I think they're used to that by now. Uh, but, uh, but the truth of the matter is, my heart today is to bring glory to God for saving and using a sinner like me and, uh, and to point souls to Him. Because God is still in the saving business. Again, on October 10th, 1992 is when I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell you a little bit about that uh, this morning. I was uh, raised in a broken home. I was born in, uh, in March of 1976. Uh, my, my, my biological dad took one look at me and decided to leave. Uh, and uh, I just got to make light of it. Sorry, but I, so I never really had much of a relationship or knew him very well. Uh, but I had a very loving mother is one of the things I'll say at the start of this. But my mom, at an, at, when I was still a baby, I don't even have a remembrance of it. Uh, she, uh, she, she got a new boyfriend. She got a new 16-year-old boyfriend. And that 16-year-old boyfriend became my stepdad. Can you imagine that? I can't, ima- I can't imagine it now, but that's how it was. My mom was probably just about 20 uh, years old. And uh, this 16-year-old boy basically moved in with us and began- became my dad. Uh, and uh, he had had a tough life. He'd been kicked out at the age of 14 uh, years old and put out on his own. Uh, tough, tough life himself, but... Um, you know, I, I, some of my early, earlier memories as a, as a little guy, just a little kid, some of the kids that we just sent out, some of my earliest memories as a, as a little kid was, uh, for one thing, being around my parents' party. They partied a lot. And one of my earliest memories was as a kid passing a joint around the room to, in, during a party. Uh, and I, I can remember just being small enough, I don't know how old I was, but I was small enough to where I can remember, and, and to me this was just a great time, but I remember all these, uh, these drunken high dudes just tossing me around the room, you know, tossing me over this way and tossing me over that way, and it was just a big time for me as a kid. I, 
I think I remember in one of those same parties, the police coming because they, they, they got out with guns and started shooting out street lights and things like that. That's just uh, my, my memories as a kid. I can remember uh, one house that we lived in and how that, uh, one of my earlier memories there again is uh, one of, uh, a guy that I got to know really well who, by the way, later came to Christ uh, after I did, but he, uh, he was one of my dad's friends, and uh, I remember my sister and I waking up with him passing out and falling down on us. We were just sleeping on some blankets in the floor is kind of what we had for a bed. But that, so that's kind of, uh, as a kid, that's what I uh, kind of grew up around. Now, uh, another couple of these little memories as a kid to tell you where the pit that I was in, where God brought me from, my dad you know, my 16-year-old stepdad, not 16 anymore, but my dad grew and sold marijuana on the side. So another one of my memories as a kid, and, and, and you got to understand me making light of some of these things because looking back and even in the moment, it was kind of funny to think about, but I can just remember uh, just as probably, you know, eight, eight, nine years old, somewhere in that range, I remember some dude coming knocking on our door. I remember so vividly coming knocking on our door. And my dad opened it up, didn't recognize the guy. And the guy said to my dad, he said, uh, he said, hey, man, can I buy some pot? And my dad said, what? And then that was the last thing that was said before the door was kicked in. And in come a bunch of you know, dudes dressed in plain clothes with guns. It was scary. But it was the police coming in to bust my dad. Uh, the crazy thing is, is uh, I think they brought in bomb-sniffing dogs instead of drug-sniffing dogs. Uh, because uh, those dogs missed a lot of marijuana in that house. I'm not even joking. It's crazy. Uh, but they, they did. I mean, they, I remember just our rooms being tore apart. They had our, every drawer in the house. Every, all of our clothes just spread out everywhere. They just overturned, looked everywhere, trying to bust my dad. They weren't able to do it uh, during that time. Growing up around this, uh, I smoked pot myself for the first time in elementary school. I mean, uh, early elementary school. I'm not even sure when it was. Um, and by the time I got into middle school, I was starting to get into more drinking and drugs and sin. Uh, I stayed in school when I was in my middle school years, but the dudes I hung around were all guys that had dropped out of middle school. Not even, we're not talking about people dropped out of high school. People dropped out of middle school. Those were the dudes I hung around. And, uh, and again, just getting into all kinds of sin. Again, more into drugs, more into drinking. Uh, during this time, no, no kidding, it's just, it blows my mind to think about now that I'm an adult. When I was living it, you know how it is. When you're a kid, I, I talk to the teens a lot. And when you're a teen, you don't feel like a kid, right? You just feel like pretty much an adult. You know that you're younger and cooler and a lot smarter than us. Uh, but you generally uh, don't think of yourself as a kid. But looking back, I'm like, man, I was a kid. I'm like, I'm like 14, 15 years old. I'm like my youngest daughter's age. And literally, I'm out hanging out with winos because they were older than me and they would go by the night train and eight ball and whatever it's, uh, we were trying to get, wild Irish rose. I mean, literally just the, 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 the nastiest stuff, hanging out with winos as a track is just a, as a young teenager in middle school and getting into all kinds of uh, ridiculous trouble. Uh, and, and, and by the way, this was down at a place they called The Block in my hometown in Gastonia, North Carolina, and the block, we had a few hoods in our town, but this was a widespread, large area hood. But that's where I was hanging out at during those times. But, you know, it was during that time that I can remember vividly 
I remember during that time and during those days coming to a particular place, I think the first time I'd ever begin to think to myself, is this really all life is? Because you know when you're partying, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin, but it's just for a season. There's pleasure in sin for a little bit, so when you'd be partying, there's pleasure, but when you come down, you come down, and you're in reality again. And it seems like your reality now is worse than it was before. And I can remember just being in a low, low place, and, and that's when I began to wonder if I even wanted to live anymore. That's when I began to think about doing harm to myself as a, as a middle school teenager. I just thought that I was worthless, felt like life was uh, fairly worthless. Uh, I mostly grew out of some of those thoughts and, and stages. But, uh, but it was also during this time, that was the first time I can remember somebody trying to share the gospel with me. And uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a friend of mine, black kid by the name of Franco. And the way that I walked to school, I walked across a creek, and there's this one bridge, just a real narrow bridge that I'd walk across to go, to go to my school. And Franco was standing on that bridge, and I don't know if he was just ambushing people or what, but <laughs> Franco was standing on that bridge witnessing to one of the other kids that was walking to school. And I didn't know what he was over there talking about, but I could tell it was probably something religious, and it was, it, there was just an uncomfortable feeling I had. Uh, and, and, and what I believe it was was that Franco was on fire for God. And he had the Spirit of God working in his life. He was newly saved. And he was trying to tell people about Jesus. He was trying to tell people about this relationship with Christ that he found. And he was talking to this guy. I'm trying to just sneak by because whatever that conversation was, I didn't want any part of it. But as I'm walking by, Franco turns and looks at me and says, What about you, Jesse? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> whatever, you know, like, uh, I mean, I just, it was like a repellent, man. I wanted to get away from that conversation. But that's the first time I remember somebody trying, making an attempt to witness to me. And again, he was a, a, school, a classmate. By the time that I got in high school, uh, man, I was, my life, it was just getting worse and worse. Uh, I, wa I wanted to stay high all the time because, again, when you come down, you come down, you realize you're in worse shape than you were before, and you, you just can fall into this terrible tendency to thinking, I just need to try something harder. I need to get something better. I need to have more fun. Uh, you know, and I just kind of fell into this whole cycle of this. And by the time I was in high school, again, I tried to stay high constantly if I could. I stayed in school, but literally, uh, when I got to school, I would, uh, I would usually get high before I went to school. At lunch, I would normally slip into, uh, the, the janitors had a room outside. I'd usually slip out there, get high at lunch to try to carry me through the rest of the day, and then go on into partying and whatever I could get into on that afternoon. It's just kind of where I was. Again, I started trying uh, harder drugs. And this, this is when, you know, looking back, seeing the path that I was on. Because the thing is, I didn't have money all the time. And my friends didn't have money all the time. And that's where eventually we started getting into some petty theft and things of that nature as well. Um, but there would be times that we didn't have any money. And that's where I start to where I would start huffing. You know, just inhaling uh, chemicals just to try to get a high. And, uh, 
You talk about, there again, those are some low places when you uh, see what you're doing and think about what you're doing in order to try to get a high, man, and it was just terrible. And by the way, on some of those chemicals, gasoline and things of that nature, man, you could really, you could seriously mess up your mind doing that one time. And I know some of you are sitting there saying things are starting to make a lot more sense about you, uh, right? But, uh, but no kidding, you talk about a low point when, uh, when you've got a lawnmower pulled out, bent over uh, on this lawnmower trying to get a high off the fuel. It's just ridiculous. Uh, but that, that's where I was at. Uh, I remember once, right around this same time, just things that come to mind. I remember once during this, this time that I was, and I shared this just a week or two ago, but I remember walking home, and this was literally, it's probably five houses between where I was leaving my friend's house back to my house. But I remember right in between there, I cut through these uh, little apartments right there, and I can remember this dude holding a revolver to my head and, uh, and, and threatening me. And, you know, he was basically wanting drugs or money, and I didn't have either one at the time. And, uh, and, you know, just it's one of those things you think about later in life. What if that, what, what if that would have intensified? What if he would have pulled that trigger? Because I'll tell you one thing, I didn't know Christ. And I want to make something very clear. I didn't know Christ, and I was living a very sinful life, because I was going to say if he would have pulled that trigger, I would have been in hell. But it's not because of the bad person or the bad life that I was living. It's because I didn't know Christ as my Savior. Because the Bible says in the book of John, Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 18, He says, He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's just simply to say this. I'm sitting here testifying about a sinful life that I was living, but that's not what made me lost. I was living that way because I was lost. I was hell-bound, but it was not because of my theft and other sin that I was hell-bound. I was hell-bound because I had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, Jesus was say, Jesus, we could put that a different way. That verse, John chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus answered this question, What would I have to do to go to hell? A person may ask. What must a person do to go to hell? How bad do they have to be? What line do they have to cross? What sin do they have to commit? But here's the shocking news, and the shocking truth to that statement is simply this. What you have to do to go to hell, what must you do? Nothing. Nothing at all. Just keep doing what you're doing. Because the Bible says, He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. The Bible says we were all born into sin. The Bible says we were all born into sin, therefore we sin. And it's not until we repent and believe the gospel that we're saved. In other words, it's not through church, it's not through religion, it's not through baptism. If you're going to be forgiven, if you're going to go to heaven and have your sins forgiven, you must first, you've got to do something. And when I say you've got to do something, you basically got to just believe in what Jesus has already done. And understand he did that for you. And I'll say more about that in just a moment. But, th- but I just think, with that revolver to my head, and I was in some other pretty sketchy situations along that time as well, but, uh, but right in the middle of all this proved a very monumental point in my life. Again, we were, <laughs> the drugs were getting harder, the situations were getting more dangerous, and right in the middle of all this, a monumental 
providential moment. And I want to tell you something about providence today. Providence is just simply the hand of God working in the midst of uh, man's, in, in our times, in our days. In other words, I'll say this very, very clearly today without any hesitation whatsoever. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you are not here by accident. If you're listening today and you, have, and you do not know Christ, you are not listening by accident. You say, oh, I just came, I just came for this reason, that reason, the other thing. But if you do not know Christ and the forgiveness of sins, there's a great big God in heaven that loves you like crazy. The reason I know that is He loved you enough to come for Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross for your sins. I don't care what sins you've committed. He's paid for all of them already because He loves you so much. And He wants you to have a relationship with Him. He has come all the way to you to where all you must simply do is put your faith and trust in Him. Believe. Quit trusting in whatever you're trusting in and put your faith and trust in Him. And He'll save you today. So you're here by providence. My providential moment, another one, I believe Franco was one. I believe some of those moments along the way. You know, some of you have even prayed. Maybe you've prayed something like this this week. God, I really need to hear something from you. If you're real, I need to hear. I need to know. Well, this was God's way of working in my life. My friend's dad passed away. My, my, I'm sorry, my friend's grandpa passed away. And so as a good friend would do, this was my best friend. At my, my best friend's grandpa passed away. I went to the funeral. You know, I'd been to many funerals before, but I hadn't been one quite like this one. It was in Liberty Independent Baptist Church in Bessemer City, North Carolina, and Dr. James Ellis was uh, preaching the funeral. He got up and he preached the gospel. He preached about how that we're all born into sin, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He got up and preached about how that Jesus loved us enough to where He died for our sins and that He rose again the third day, that if we would believe, He would save us. And He preached the gospel. And he didn't just preach the gospel. You know, what, you know what else he did? He preached the gospel, and at the end of it, bud, he gave an invitation at a funeral. Um, now, I didn't go forward, but I remember at the end of that service, like I often do to this day, I was sitting back here on the right hands, on my right, back toward the back, and I remember he said, if you're here today and you don't, if you don't know for sure you're saved, and you want me to pray for you, would you raise your hand? Yeah, you know I ask that sometimes. And you know what I did? I just raised my hand. And I remember thinking to myself, Dan, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, I, I can't believe I just raised my hand and acknowledged that. And, uh, and so he, he, he acknowledged me and then just kind of went on and of course tried to uh, encourage me to come to Christ. Now, I did not come to Jesus that day. Uh, but I'm telling you, Something was working in my heart. Somebody was working in my heart that day. And I left there thinking, that was weird. <laughs> that was uncomfortable. Uh, by the way, there's something about going to a church where the gospel is preached. I talked about trying, wanting to make people as welcome as we could possibly make them when they come in these doors from the time they get to the parking lot to the time they leave. That's our goal. But I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit of God begins to convict you of your sin, it can get a little uncomfortable. 
Amen. You can get a little uncomfortable. I've had people, uh, I had a guy uh, that needed to be saved and years ago that I was preaching to, and he says, man, he said, well, I bring my grandson to church, but he said every time he comes, is he thinks he's going to have a heart attack. He was just like 12 years old. But he says his heart starts beating, and he starts, you know, feeling weird. And I've had people say, I don't like going to your church because of that. But that's not because of me. All that is, is that's God speaking to your heart, trying to get your attention. And it don't always work just like that. But God will work in your heart like He did mine that day. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 44, here's what Jesus said. No man cometh unto, the, cometh unto me except the Father which sent me draw him. And the Bible says when the, Spirit of, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. So you want to know what God does? He loves you so much. He paid such a great price for you and for me that He sends the Word of... He wants you to hear the Word of God. And when you hear the Word of God, He sends the Spirit of God to gently draw you to Himself. See, God doesn't make a person get saved or come to Him, but He'll draw you. Just like He was drawing me. He drew me to that funeral. He, he drew me to where I could hear that message. Contrary to what some people believe, God will not force you to be saved. But He will draw you and the Spirit of God will convict. Well, I went back to, to living the life that I had been living previously, doing the same things for at least a couple of weeks. But the thing that was a little bit different is that there was a guy from the church, insider secret here, uh, people pray for you if you don't if you're not saved, amen. And uh, well, I didn't realize that even though every head bowed was every eye and every eye was closed, I'm pretty sure that preacher Ellis told Jim Maynard that hey, that guy that came with Mike and Jerry, uh, I almost said Tom and Jerry, but it was Mike and Jerry. Uh, that guy that came with Mike and Jerry raised his hand that he wasn't saved. And so Jim Maynard, and let me tell you something about Jim Maynard, he was just one of the guys in the church. But he knew that there was a lost teenager that needed Jesus, so you know what he did? He, he, he loaded up a box full of groceries and brought them to my friend's house, knowing I would be there. And he did this at least once or twice over the, the period of two or three weeks, and of course he's wanting to talk to me. Hey man, how's it going? You know, Come on church dude, <laughs> like... Get away from me, you know, like you're weirding me out big time here. Because uh, he's so nice, and, and you, you wouldn't believe that I've been accused of being too nice. Hey, man, that I, people, uh, you know, creep out like nobody's that nice. There's something wrong with that dude. Well, that's how Jim seemed to me. And, but it wasn't just that. It was that Jim had been praying for me. And Preacher Ellis had been praying for me. And I'm telling you, when he would come around, I'd start getting that feeling again. Like, this is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. I don't like this. So I tried to avoid Jim as much as I possibly could. I'm like, dude, I ain't your friend. Don't try to talk to me. Uh, so, uh, so, so these things were kind of going on in the background. Kind of freaked me out. But now, as, as we go through the psalm, the Bible says he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And through the course of this, I had... Uh, I had taken some hallucinogenics a couple of weeks after this. I had taken some hallucinogenics and had some, uh, you know, in the drug world, what they call a bad trip. 
Man, I, I was freaking out, going crazy. Uh, you know, you think about the protection of the Lord. Uh, it was me and a couple friends of mine, man. We're, we're, we're talking about with, with glee and laughter, we're talking about going killing our friend. And the thought of that, we just thought it was the best thing ever. And we were like planning it out. It's like, let's call him. Let's get him out. And just out of nowhere, we were on a hallucinogenic. We, our minds were imagining a bunch of weird, paranoid, crazy thoughts. Well, as I began to come back from that and get back to my right mind without doing anything too crazy, uh, that scared me. And man, it brought me to a place to where I'm like, this ain't all that fun. This ain't the way I want to live. And literally, I just felt like I was at rock bottom at the end of my rope. And I could still see it today, man. I mean, here I am, and it's, and it's me and my friend that, the, whose grandpa had passed away. We're sitting, we're just sitting together, I mean, just like sometime in the middle of the night. And I just, I, I said to him, I was like, man, we, we need help. We need some help. He said, man, he said, I'll tell you what we need to do. He said, we need to get saved. And I'm like, well, how do we do that? What do we, how, do, how, how do you do that? He said, I'm not really sure. But I think it says something about it over in the book of John. He had been raised in church off and on. So he went and got one of his dad's old King James Bibles, and we just, he just opened up to John chapter number 1, and we just took turns reading out loud to each other, going through the book of John. And I don't remember... I don't know how far we read, but I know, and if you know me about reading, let me tell you something, I don't, I, reading was not my thing. I mean, I had serious struggles with reading um, back then, you know, a little uh, learning issue there. Uh, but I read and I read, and I know for sure that I read all the way into John 14 because I remember the verses that Richard shared this morning. Uh, you know, uh, you know I, 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 I am the way, the truth, and the life. I remember all this. But as I read the Word of God and the Spirit of God working on my heart, there are some things that had already become pretty plain to me. Now, on that night, I could not put these things into these words. But there's one thing's for sure. The circumstances surrounding the way you come to Christ and the way I come to Christ, the circumstances are all, could be all over the board. But there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. And that's when from the Word of God, you see your need for the Savior, when the Spirit of God is working on your heart. And again, you may not know it in those terms. I didn't know it in those terms. But as I read the Word of God, one thing was painfully clear. I was a sinner in need of help and forgiveness. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and something else. I realized as I read that Jesus would save me. That was, it was just, I, I don't think I've ever read the Bible the way I read it that night. I mean, it was just so clear. And, 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 and I knew that I, that I needed the Lord and I knew that I had the opportunity to, to believe. You want to know something else I remember though? I remember, Christian, as I was reading and felt like, yeah, I, I, I think I want Jesus in my life. I think I really want this. But I can remember... Feeling like as I went through the book, of, I mean, I'm going through the book of John. But as I'm going through the book of John, finally you could put it this way. I came face to face with my sin, number one. I come face to face with my Savior. And I came to a place to where I knew that either 
Either I wanted Jesus in my life, but then here's the thing that, that, that I stopped and thought about literally. I had big plans for the next weekend. I mean, the biggest plans yet is what I had for the next weekend. Um, and I remember it being obvious to me, Micah, that if I accepted Jesus, I'm not having that weekend because I'm making a choice here. I'm making a choice. Am I going to keep going that way or am I going to go with Jesus? And hallelujah, spoiler alert, I guess, you know, but, but I chose Jesus. Amen. And I can remember saying, you know, I don't want that anymore. I don't need that anymore. Jesus, and I didn't say it in these words, but Jesus, will you save me? I want Jesus. See, the Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let me tell you something else about this. Going all the way back to my early memories, like many of you, even though I told you that my home was raised, it was partying and, and drinking and drugs and a lot of other things going on, my dad still, for whatever he knew, he had a respect for, what, for the things of God as he knew it. Some of you may have grown up with this same tradition, but it's very, very common down south. Back especially when I was growing up, it was hard to go into any home no matter what kind of home it was, to where there wasn't a big old family altar Bible sitting out on the coffee table. And our house was no exception to that. And one thing my, I remember my dad teaching me early on, Richard, is that if you want to see my dad throw a fit, put something on top of that Bible. Put a magazine there. Put, a, put a, anything. What? Get that off the Bible. What are you, crazy? <laughs> and I told you a bit about my dad. But all the, I knew one thing, that instilled in my mind, well, there must be something special about that book. It did, it instilled that in my mind. There must be something special about that book. But from, from, from as long as I can remember, I would pray. And I tease about especially when I'd get in trouble. But especially when I'd get in trouble, I'd pray. You know, sometimes it would just be, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. But there'd be other times to where I would pray but I remember always having this vision in my mind. Anybody can identify with this? I remember having this vision in my mind that God had a set of scales. And I knew that I had done and was doing some bad things. But in my mind, I always thought that there's good things I do. I'm not that bad of a guy. I mean, I was living a really bad life. But for the most part, I treated people pretty well, at least in my mind. Uh, and so I really thought that my good was going to outweigh my bad. I knew I was a sinner, but I thought my good would outweigh my bad. But on that day, I realized something. The Bible says that all of our righteousnesses, the best we can do, the Bible says, is filthy rags. Because here's what some people think. They think that same thing, good outweighs the bad. And they envision these scales. And they say, well, over here I've got my religion and I'm such a good person and man, I am really, you know, I've done so, so many good things and blah, blah, blah. And, and they, they put that all in the nice side of the scale. But here's the problem. God says that goes on the negative side of the scale. Say, so what, what do you mean by that? I mean by that is this. When God says that you don't have any righteousness of your own, that's why I loved you and I want to give you, I want to give you my righteousness what we can get, what I'm talking about here is self-righteousness. I don't need God because I've got the church. 
I don't really need, God, I got this part handled because I'm such a good person. Don't misunderstand me. I believe in being a good person. I'm not saying that if you're a good person, you're good to people, that that's worthless and pointless because that's something we ought to do. But what I'm just simply trying to say is that as far as salvation is concerned, the Bible says all of our righteousnesses is as filthy rags. So, on that night, I put my faith and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believed on Him. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 16, Verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I believed that night. Now, had I believed for all the other years leading up to that? Yeah, here. Always believed. But that night, something different. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is I put all of my faith and trust in Him. In other words, Jesus, if you don't save me, there's no saving happening. If you don't help me, there's no help to be had. <laughs> the next day, the next day we called our friends up and they're like, man, how'd it go last night? And man, you remember this and that and whatever else? And I said, well, hey, I got to tell you, I got saved last night. And, uh, and I'm not going to come hanging around you guys for a while because, uh, uh, man, I, I, I don't want to live that way anymore. I said, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get strong, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk to you all about the Lord. And pretty soon, we started getting more calls because word started getting around. Jesse lost it last night. No joke. Jesse has lost his mind. He's messed up. He's all talking about God and church and stuff. People literally thought that my mind was gone. Well, then once they started figuring out that that wasn't the case, uh, they said, well, we'll give him two weeks. We'll give him two weeks. And, uh, uh, but you know what? God made a change in my life. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He made some changes in my life. Listen, he brought me out of the pit. He placed me on the rock. I'll give you this last part quickly here. I went back. I went back to the church where I heard the gospel, Harvest Baptist Church in Bessemer City, North Carolina. I went back to that church. Uh... And I fell in love, i got to say this, I fell in love with church. Let me tell you something, teenagers. We didn't have other teenagers in that church. We had Ed. Ed was awesome. You know why he was awesome? He was on fire for God and loved winning souls. Ed became my buddy. Me and Ed had something in common. Now, Ed was like 72. But it didn't matter to me. And then old Joe Fleming... Joe Fleming, man, again, he was probably in his 40s at the time, maybe close to 50. He did have residual effects. He was a straight-up hippie back in the day, and when they found him, he literally thought he was an alien from another country But went back in his hippie days, but he had come to Christ. But he still acted a little crazy, man. But he loved Jesus, and he became my friend. And that's why, I'll tell, I just got to say an insert right here. That's why, I, I'm glad that we've got a good, good group of teenagers. We've got kids, you know, just up right down there. That's wonderful. But you know what? We've got good youth leaders from just, for every age. And we're so blessed in that department. And we, I want to continue that. But especially when we were first getting started, I, I just tell you this, man. I love church. I love the people. I love Miss Barbara Skeen, or Bar Barbara Skeen. I loved uh, these people. They, they, I just loved them. They were a blessing. I, I began to just love church. Um, 
And then I started asking questions. Because I, I started trying to read the Bible, and I had questions. And, 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 and all of a sudden, uh, I, I was bugging old Joe Fleming, man. That dude, literally, he's the dude I mentioned earlier. What that dude would do is he, would, he, would, uh, he was a sheetrocker, and he would get in his van to drive to work uh, in Charlotte normally, uh, about you know 30-minute drive or so, and he would put in Alexander Scorby, some of you know what that is, the old cassette tapes of the Bible being read. Listen to that all the way in on the way to work. Get to work, he'd put on his Walkman. Kids, it's kind of like a... Yeah, anyway. Uh, he'd put his Walkman on, and he'd listen to those cassette tapes all the way up to about 10 or 11. Then he'd listen to Rush for three hours. And, but then he would put uh, Scorby back on again. And uh, but this man, he loved the Bible. He knew the Bible. And we would bug him, bug him, bug him. And finally he said, well, you guys just want to come over and get together Saturday? Yeah, I do. This is just a guy in the church. He just hangs sheetrock. But he saw a teenage boy there, and he was willing to take the time, and his wife was willing to take the time to let us come into her home with her younger kids. And Joe just began to teach us the Bible. We'd spend Saturdays together a lot of times. Sunday afternoons, we'd go over to a house. It'd be a beautiful day like this. This is the month I got saved. He would roll out this big old, like, 12 by 4 uh, chart, one of Clarence Larkin's charts, uh, just this huge thing, put rocks on the corners. He'd have a stick, and he'd just start walking us through a timeline of the Bible and prophecy. Man, and I just say that because, man, that, it was just awesome. And... Uh, so as this went on, the Lord just continued to work and bless. And uh, man, God is so good. He, in other words, I'm trying to say that he put me on a rock. Now I do want to say this. I want to mention this, that there was a brief time. I bet, I bet about a year after I got saved, I started getting pretty confident. So I started going around. I had a good, I had a good motive. And I went around to my buddies. And I said, hey, Roger. I said, uh, hey, I'm coming by. Can I come by in a little bit? You, when you coming by? I said, about 10 minutes. Okay. So while I'm getting my little Bible tucked under my arm and heading to Roger's house, he's stuffing the bones. So when I get there, I go in the house. Roger, I want to talk to you about Jesus. And he's just lighting up, blowing in my face. Okay, man, keep talking. It's like, Roger, I'm not doing that, man. It's like, I'm here to tell you that Jesus saves and all that. Long story short, I had a great motive, but I kept hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. I fell off for a little bit, especially when I got a job. And it was an important job. I was washing dishes at the country club, so I guess it was worth missing Sundays over. Uh, but, uh, and I'm being sarcastic and facetious there. But, uh, but I, started get, I got out of church for a small period of time, but by the grace of God, that didn't last very long. And I was able to get back in church. I went to revival, and I guess you could call it the first date with this girl that I'd fallen head over heels over. And man, I'm still there, let me tell you. Uh, me and Melanie went to this revival meeting in this little storefront. I guess I got a thing for storefronts, but uh, in, in a storefront, John Melton got up and began to preach about sur surrendering your life to God. Giving your all, putting your all on the altar. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Give God your life. 
He preached that to me as a teenager. He preached it to Melanie as a teenager. And I'm telling you what I did that night, I haven't been the same since that night. And I said, okay, God, here it is. I don't want to, I don't want to live in this. With the, I don't want the worldly things anymore. Lord, I want you. I want to live my life for you. Man, I got on, a fire was kindled in my heart that day. I was witnessing to people already. But man, it got amped up a few notches. I actually started, I, I, I probably preached, I preached several times at school. I can remember one time in particular, and this is before I'd ever surrendered to preach, but I was, uh, I think by this year, this could have been my senior year, uh, that I was outside, um, it was during class, but there was a gym class that was outside. I worked, uh, I was in journalism, so I was out walking around talking to people. I was going to say going and getting interviewing stories, but I wasn't. Uh, but there was a group of kids that were out by some picnic tables right in a courtyard. So there's classrooms that kind of surround this at Hunter Huss High School in Gastonia, North Carolina. And I started talking to somebody about the Lord. And pretty soon somebody else came and wanted to hear. Pretty soon somebody else came and somebody else came. And before you knew it, I just went ahead and jumped up on the table where everybody could hear me. And, and, I began, and, and, and what, what happened was there was a couple guys trying to mock me. So then I raised my voice more. Next thing you know, I am preaching right in the middle of the courtyard of my high school. Uh, to God be the glory. Uh, I mean, I was the dude literally just a year before I was walking those halls stoned out of my mind. I was walking the halls. I was the dude that you wanted to stay away from. By the way, the first time I ever went to Melanie's house and met her family, her sister Jennifer, which is just a year younger than me, said, that dude is bad news. You do not need to let him anywhere around, Melanie. And, uh, but praise God, they figured out that God had changed my life after a while. About a year after that, I went to a youth camp. It was hard to go. I had to work some things out on my job. I say some of this to young people because it's easy to get your priorities mixed up. Oh, I don't know eternity and the will of God for my life or washing dishes. I just, it's a hard choice, preacher. You know, I struggled with, oh, well, you know, my job and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know what? I'm going. I'm going. Went to youth camp. And one night of youth camp, God had been working on my heart about preaching. But I, I believe in that God calls people to preach. I don't, I don't believe it's just something you say, yeah, I think I'll do that. So I said, God, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. And I, I got up one night before the, 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 the singing man was moving. God was working and moving. I came down to the altar, and I got in the altar, and I was coming down there to pray for my mom, who was not saved at the time. But when I got in the altar, as soon as I got there, I, couldn't, I didn't feel like I could say a word. I mean, I could have, but I'm just saying there was, I was confronted with something at that altar. And it was God giving me a peace that he wanted me to preach. And it was the, one of the stranger trips I've ever taken to the altar because I literally just sat there in silence for probably five minutes, and I think the only thing I said was like, okay. And I got up and I told Brother John Melton that I'd mentioned earlier, he was over the youth camp, and I said, hey, and, and there's still people praying, there's people singing, and I said, preacher, I just want to tell you that God, I just surrendered to preach. God called me to preach. Things settled down a little bit, and he said, Jesse, come tell them what, uh, what God did for you. I got up and started telling people what God had done in my life and that he called me to preach. After just about a minute or two of that, Brother John Melton is sitting up on the platform. He says, get him his Bible and go ahead and preach. So somebody brought me my Bible up and I preached my very first message on the, first, the night that I surrendered to preach. 
And I, I ended up being, I ended up preaching probably a 40-minute message that night. A number, of, a number of young people, and I point to this side because that's where several of them were sitting, and including my friend Jason Williams. As a, he was a 12-year-old boy, again, uh, brought up, being brought up in a terrible, terrible situation. But he had come to youth camp that night. He come forward and got saved by the grace of God along with some others. And, uh, and, and, and from that point on, I mean, you know, and I'll, I'll bring it to a close. Y'all kind of get the rest of the story. God let me marry the girl of my dreams. Uh, God, just a, a number of years later, uh, began to deal with my heart about coming out uh, and, and just doing more for Him. I was willing to go anywhere in the world, and I still am. I was willing to go anywhere in the world to preach for the Lord. And I've told you before, I had people trying to get me to come to an island in the Caribbean to do a work there. And I was, I was, that, that was the closest other thing probably I've ever come to doing. But then God made it very, very clear on my heart over a series of events that he wanted me to be in South Dakota. And I'm telling you right now, there's not another place I'd rather be. The Wendells this morning, uh, Chad and Jen, they're visiting down in North Carolina, and they're watching right now. They're down in, in the mountains of North Carolina, and as far as I'm concerned, I don't know if there's a more beautiful place in all the world. And I'm a little biased, but that's what I believe. And I love going down there and visiting. I love seeing those hills and trees and waterfalls and streams and everything. Love it. But I'll tell you something right now. After a little bit of visiting, I'm ready to come home. Because you know why? This is where God's called me to be. Amen. God called us to be, come out to South Dakota. And so as we all stand this morning...